out from Zogi, Zogi Labs. So I'll oh, put cool. that one out too. Okay. Oh, hey, everybody. What's up, Joe? Just uh, busy, busy, busy. You know, busy, I mean, busy, busy. Trying to make sense of everything that's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a sense, it's very complicated, obviously. Yes. Um, so covering a lot of press on that, you know, I'm looking obviously a lot at the macro stuff and how that flows into crypto, but I'm also looking at a lot of cool new crypto stuff, you know, new games I'm finding from friends that send me every day. I'm going to share one later on, um, cool. you know, the referral code, you know, for the beta, if you want to check it out um, nice. and stuff you find. So I see tons of excitement and I see, you know, I kind of see like, you know, obviously some kind of doldrums like activity in crypto right now. But it's also the end of August. It's before Labor Day. I mean, for the non-US viewers or listeners, the uh, you know, August pretty much, particularly the second half, pretty much shuts down in the US. Yeah. Because everybody who's doing anything is taking their kids on vacation. Um, everything's getting done before school starts. Yep. Um, a lot of schools now don't wait till Labor Day to start. They start on the 15th of August, but a lot still do do Labor Day. So nothing's going on. But um yeah. Still, if you dig in and you get all, you know, we've got like we have a lot of people that send us stuff, you know, you find cool stuff out there. So absolutely. Uh, that's why I'm so optimistic. I don't say so optimistic, but, you know, I just feel like we're in a good space and we just need to get, you know, really see that institutional buying pick up in BTC and ETH once Labor Day hits, because um, that'll bring retail back in. I think. You know what? That's a really, you know, I'm. I'm, I had some really bad, not really bad, but some sad news uh, hit my feed today. Um, uh, Ramon Recuro, who uh, built uh, Babylon, was on, uh, I interviewed him for Ma Mission DeFi. And Babylon is like um, uh, virtual social investment clubs. And it was beautifully built. Um, Ramon and his team are brilliant. Um, but because of the, uh, Faye Rari exploit, um, they basically were taken out and had to shut down the protocol. Um, so, you know, I, I sent him a note and said, Hey, I'm really sorry to hear this. Uh, I'm sure there's some great lessons learned here. And when you're ready, you know, love to have you back on the show, but he's just one of those kind of conscientious, uh, responsible people that built a really cool platform. And here's the crazy thing, right? You've got this amazing platform and he actually says, invites people to fork it because it's a really powerful platform. Um, he invites people to fork it, but it sucks because you're in this position of, you have this amazing tech, you've worked hard on it. It's audited, it's checked. He's got the legal stuff dealt with everything. And you build this whole thing and this is kind of our internet connectivity. I mean, our interconnectivity issue in DeFi, right? Because they had so many pools that were utilizing Rari uh, lending and that exploit took out a ton of the cash that their members had in those protocols through these investment groups that you could build in Babylon. Um, it took down the whole thing. And so their price plummeted in the bear market. They couldn't raise money. He, he admits, he said he didn't raise enough money. He goes, this is a really great thread for anybody starting a, a, a project here in the space. This is an awesome thread of things to think about. You know, he said they didn't raise enough money. He said that um, um, they did a raise 
in, I guess, January for, but they only raised $3 million because they raised it through a sales of NFTs. And he said, one of the things he realized was there's no cross, there's not a lot of crossover between the NFT people and the DeFi people. And he should have raised it normally. Um, And then they had to scramble. They had a devaluation, you know, the whole, the whole thing was just kind of this cascading series of events, but it must be so frustrating to have kind of all these financial underpinnings cause you to shut down when you've got this incredible piece of technology and a powerful platform, you know? Um, so um, I think there's a, there's a real opportunity for somebody to take this, this platform and start over because if you start in a bear market, you know, the expectations for you are you've built the system. You don't have to rebuild it. And you've got the opportunity as the market comes back up to, to grow something. Um, and I'm sure yeah. it must be, frustrating for that team to have done this they've went without pay for the last like four or five months and so anyway shut it down down. it's not you can't it's too big of a hole to dig out of now and it's not his fault he's a good guy rejigger retool come out with something new pull all your investors into the new deal to make them whole somewhat give them something yeah and get on to the next thing you're a good dude and you know don't don't let this just knock you off your game completely keep going man yeah yeah. And look, they did all the right things. They took their tokens that they had left and cashed them out and they're giving it to investors that lost money in the in the pools that mm-hmm. they had. They are um, going to take any compensation that comes from Rari and, you know, pay back every wallet that lost as well. Um, so, I mean, you know, he's just if you want to go back anybody and kind of just find out what a real founder is like, this is one of those guys. Um, if you listen to my interview with him, um, you can hear how he really has been incredibly thoughtful about how he built this platform. Um, so next thing he does, I'm definitely want to get into cause, um, he's just, you know, top notch, top notch guy, former Google dev mm-hmm. and, um, you know, startup tech world guy, but you know, Shit you know, happens, but it's uh, it's a bummer to see the good guys lose out. So yeah, but but you know, when in this world of DeFi and um, inner changing or inner exchanging between protocols and these dependencies that are created, I mean, it just tells me we need a whole new level of due diligence in the strategic partnership area. Like, if you're running a protocol, you really got to dig in on this better because. Not, I'm not talking about Ramon. I'm talking about just generically uh, lesson learned, okay, from all of this is that, you know, you really, when you do these kind of composable protocol type interdependencies, I mean, you really are putting your enterprise at risk. Well, and here's the thing, right? I think he would probably admit that dependency on one lending protocol was a mistake, right? That, well, yeah, that's exactly uh, what you're yeah, saying, well, right? Spread yeah. this out, put it on 10 lending protocols, right? Mm-hmm. And the 10 that you think are strong and look audited and have good. That way, you're not completely taken down by one exploit, right? right. You, you've got one problem to solve, one small group of people to pay back and, you know, spread it out. Um, and I agree with you. I, I mean, the I'm kind not of picking diligence, on him, though. Yeah, I'm of not course not. No, of course not. Oh, no, this is I normal. Do. Look. And it's hard because integrating integrating these other protocols is hard work. And so you could you only have so many devs to do so much, right? And and that that makes it even more more difficult well, to manage. I think it's it's also hard for look, I'm gonna pull out the experiential hat a little bit right now. And yeah, I'm gonna look at Ramon and I'm gonna say you say he's Tell like, me, Uncle I, Joe. 
former hotshot Google software developer. Sounds to me like this guy's been remote, in, incredibly successful at everything he's done. Yeah. So far. And he hits this thing. It goes under for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of them macro-y, force majeure type reasons that are sort of beyond his control. Um, and he's going to be reeling. But, you know, take it from someone who's seen deals fall apart. Yeah. Let's just say shit loads of times. <laughs> you know? I mean, at the closing table, you know, watching billions evaporate because some dude's got to stick up his ass and blows it all up. I mean, it's just horrible shit happens continuously in, in, in business and failures happen. I don't want to say horrible shit, but failures happen. And, yeah. you know, for someone who's as successful as this guy is, he just followed away as a lesson, like I said, and get going again. I mean, I remember when I was in grad school, we had the guy in Fred Bureau, um, who was the founder of MLS, the multi-listing service. And you know, actually, when he started, he had been fired and you know had no money and just came up with the idea and and, and launched it. And you know, he said that uh, this is like '90s data, 1990s, but that the average entrepreneur fails evidently like 13 times before hitting the big yeah. hitting yeah. success. So the key is, if you're in this game, you're in it forever. Yeah. And you just keep picking yourself up and you keep going. You keep picking yourself up and you keep going. And you trust that eventually you're going to succeed. Well, you're going to succeed or you're going to be dead, one or the other. <laughs> and so you have to have that philosophy or, um, that's right. you know, you're not going to get there. So there's no yeah. shame. There's no, like, nothing wrong with this. This is just normal stuff in my world. Yeah. I mean, look, it sucks for the investors that invested in them as VCs, whatever. But they're used to that. And the people that it, it sucks for the most are the people who are just the investors in each of the, you know, each of the investment vehicles um, that the community built out. Because that that was no fault of the people making decisions about what to invest in. Um, they just had a dependency there. And and it and, and it was a combination of factors that, you know, well, it's it, kind of a market. You can't, you know. Well, everybody's got dependencies too. Look, yeah. think about what happened if, say, you know, Ave went down or something, you right. know, or, or, you know, like another, I mean, that's got thought, I was thinking about Celsius yesterday and I was thinking, I'd like that they're in bankruptcy court to solve all this shit, you know, rather than just vaporizing and disappearing and uh, sorry, it didn't work out kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm glad that a thing that's that big of it, like a giant play like that is actually getting properly sorted. So yeah. I think that for those, you know, everybody was chasing yield. I mean, we talked about it all the time, too. I mean, I was jumping into crazy shit left and right. But, you know, when you're running around and you've got like 20 million to invest and you see something at, you know, what, 300 percent APY or whatever, you're going in your head. You're thinking, fuck, I'll make 40 million dollars this year on this. Right. Right. And, you know, you're going for it and everybody is going for it. Thanks, Sean, for that shout out. Appreciate it. But. I just don't, um, you know, I think you just got to go all out, I guess. And, yeah. you know, and you do your best. Everybody picked these yields who was playing in this space. So this, this Ramon guy, I'd love to get him on this show so we could just yeah. have a PTSD debriefing with yeah, him. Yeah, he said he needs a month or so. He's, you know, I, I, yeah. look, it's that whole post post shutdown depression you're going to go through. Maybe he won't, but I'm, I don't know. It's like, you know. It's just how it is. But in this thread, constantly yeah, in this thread, he does an awesome job of just being completely transparent along with the blog post about the things that caused it, you know, and it's good. It's, it's, he admits their mistakes. He talks about market conditions, 
you know, all that good stuff. So, well, look, execution mistakes are just that, but they're decisions. And you yep. talk to anybody that operates in high stress, life or death situations, all they say is make decisions. You know, yep. don't sit there going, hmm, what should I do? Because you're dead. You know, yep. you make decision. If it's a wrong decision, then the next one might get you back onto the, the mean line, you know, the right line. Yeah. So to speak. yeah. And you just got to keep going. So I, I, I love well, it's the interesting. fact guy's throwing it out like this. I do too. And, and he's giving back to the community. The other interesting thing here is this. His platform was founded on the idea of medium to long-term investments, right? But because they only raised $3 million, they decided they had to go for more short-term, higher gains. So uh, we actually talked about this new pool that they launched, this ETH staking pool uh, that they launched that was paying like 40% on staked ETH, but there were multiple tiers. You were borrowing from Rari, blah, blah, blah. That's one of the things that, that caused the downfall. Had they been able to raise enough money, they could have gotten into a let's reduce our burn mode and let's ride this out and continue to grow community and make it through, right? So that's something everyone needs to think about. Nobody wants to kind of reduce your valuation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if if you've got money in, in you know in the wallet and or money you know that you can get in, uh, take that valuation hit so you can survive outwards if you think you have a long term play. And and that and that's a hard thing to to swallow too if you're in that position. Yeah, no, I remember a company in the DC area, dot com days. Actually, a buddy of mine was their head of strategy, and I almost went to do some stuff with them, but but never did. Right at the end of dot com, they went out and did a secondary raise of two billion dollars. And this is a company I think had less than a hundred million in revenue, and you know this high fly in valuation, and maybe it was one point two, one point four billion. I might have be moving the numbers around a bit, but huge money, and that carried them. For, yeah. you know, I don't know what they did after .com or where they went. It was a wireless play um, back when wireless was, you know, cutting edge and, you know, before smartphones and all this stuff. So, but they had that billion plus in cash. So they went out and did acquisitions when all these other companies hit the skids. They had yep. no money to pay themselves <laughs> like a decade. So, wow. you know, there's a big, you know, when the market's super, super frothy, and that big round of money comes in, you know, where it's like, all right, we'll give you, you know, free money, eight billion. We'll give you two billion, you know, or or we'll give you two billion free money, one billion. You know, you're like, or I'm kind of just picking different scenarios. You can structure it at the shareholder agreement level and the board level if you have enough directors to where you still have control of everything. Right. But you also have $2 billion in cash. Exactly. Um, so dilution is not a bad thing as long nope. as you control it. So I Especially love if it depends of, on your survival. Yeah. And then you get it done right before the market tanks. Yep. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So these, you know, I think we used to call these some, I've heard people call them real options in, in the sense of decision choices you have to make. And, you know, when you're, when you can't control macro cycles and capital cycles and say frothiness or market interest, you can only execute and you can only communicate a competent message that you're doing, um, you know, that you're executing, you're, you're take, making a run at it. You're not doing stupid stuff. You're not going high risk. You're, you're just executing. And that's all you can do. And the market does reward you for that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't reward 
crazy shit. I mean, TradeFi does it. But, you know, when the herd's up and the money's flowing into a sector, yeah, it rewards crazy shit. We just saw it. Yeah. But to me, I think that you can you, you have to always be continuously evaluating that, you know, how much capital do I have? What am I trying to do? How much is that going to cost? How much debt do I have? Do I need to pay that down? What are my clients? Who's the biggest one? Where are my dependencies? Blah, blah. It never ends. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like when I said the other day about, um, and it might have been perceived the wrong way, but I said that like with all these genius autists creating protocols, they kind of surround themselves with all these types of people yeah. because it keeps you sane. You don't have to think about everything. You don't have to worry about everything. Yeah. The best thing you could ever do is hire people that you trust to completely execute on everything and you don't even have to ask. That makes sense. You know? And, totally. and got them there. So, I mean, I think that that's where we're getting with a lot of this. And I love this whole generation of younger entrepreneurs like Ramon that, you know, are doing it the right way. Yep, absolutely. So before we get to some of the stuff you wanted to talk about today, can we talk about um, yeah. more more leadership decisions? Um, sure. Remember us talking about Helium and how they had very little revenue and the people who bought all the nodes. This is the net. That's the network that that provides internet connectivity um, for via nodes that people can get, and then they use tokens to get the connectivity. Well, all these people bought those nodes and they were disappointed because their revenue's not there yet. But of course, that's something that should take a lot more time to build up. How many users can you possibly have for this? But the concept is really cool. So. This morning, I see this this post. Helium will be moving to the Solana blockchain. Now, I I don't know about you, but considering the fact that this is a network that should be pretty stable, because you're going to have people counting counting on it for internet connectivity, I'm not sure that would have been my first choice of chains uh, with their track record of late. Um, you know, having to be rebooted multiple times over the last nine months or so. Um, I would have gone with like an app chain from Avalanche or Polygon or BNB chain or something else. Now they are trying to get away from, they had their own chain. And I think the goal is smart. Let's get out of managing a blockchain and let's get right. into, you know, just doing what we should be doing, focused on what we're good at. That's great. But, you know, you could have picked any other chain or you could have done like Anchor offers a service where they will completely manage your app chain for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get this dedicated chain, dedicated fee structure, dedicated everything. So you get the performance, the stability, everything built in and you don't have to manage the chain. Right. You, you've got yeah. a service like Anchor managing it for you, but you have all the performance and control that you want over how the network functions. But I don't know. I'm I'm not a big well, fan of this this choice. I love that you find these things. Um you know, I can't remember. I always had helium and Celsius kind of lumped together, maybe just because they were, you know, totally just, different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I couldn't remember. Was that about, was helium about, it was about like gas fee token or what, what no, was the, no, helium the is creating, yeah, helium is creating a worldwide cellular network, um, Wi Fi and cellular network. And the idea is, is that people can buy these hardware nodes and put them up and then people that are members of helium have buy tokens the helium tokens and use those tokens to access the cellular networks right or to access the network got it. okay right so and data network yeah. or is it a call network or is it both call and data and okay. so the idea is is that these people that own these nodes are going to make money from people using their right 
connection, but the the idea is further that you get these high speed connections all over the world and you pay a lot less for your internet and cellular access, right? Great concept, brilliant concept. They had this massive number of people buy these nodes, but they're all pissed off because nobody's using helium yet, which, you know, that takes time, right? Now, part of their part of their plan, the thing that they had the controversy about a few weeks ago was they were claiming all of these big enterprise relationships for cellular access, which they didn't have, right? There were a couple doing test, de- mm. de- test deployments, but they didn't have it. So I, I don't know. I, I just, from my perspective, you know, Solana wouldn't have been my first choice. Now, from what I understood of the thread, there are some technical reasons they may have chosen Solana for doing off-chain computing, but there are other options for off-chain compute along with on-chain data storage. So I I just, I I wouldn't want, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally make a big infrastructure bet right now on the Solana blockchain. That's just me. So apologies to the Solana fans out there, but. I, I was just trying to grapple with this too because I was thinking of another project that I was involved in that was um, it was these guys out of you know, out of New York, but it was in Southeast Asia, and they were doing these kind of like um, charging stations. I can't remember; they must have been powered with solar or something. But so at the village level, you know, at the village uh-huh. level, like right. say you know, farming ag- agrarian country, not in New York yeah. City, let's say. And so a farmer would, you know, how in India, like the micropayment stuff and the like, they would go to the village and one person would get a cell phone and get a contract with the phone company. And then this is years ago. This isn't today, right. maybe. And everyone would use the phone to make calls from the village. And then whoever ran it, usually a, a grandma or a mom would get a cut of all the money going through. And, and then I think about the charging station. I started thinking that'd be kind of cool if all those charging stations became decentralized nodes that would handle Wi-Fi oh, yeah. and data traffic on helium. Uh, but, but that alone, what I'm thinking about with Solana is it, that's a super NFT heavy blockchain, right? Well, they do a lot of NFT. It's high performance. They, there's a bunch of DeFi protocols on there too, but there is a lot of NFT activity. Is there an angle then for, I mean, you know how BS or Binance chain, smart chain, it, it, it's really out in a lot of these small rural markets um, That's around the world. That's a lot of users world. out there. Yeah, I that would have been smart. I wonder if this takes Solana into, you know, I don't know the cell tower distribution strategy or whatever for um, Helium or how they're doing it, well, they're not but doing cell towers. It's all these nodes that just okay, operate so off of internet connectivity. All server-based stuff. Or okay, so you know, if you, it's almost like taking it down to decentralized nodes at like the smartphone level um, yep. or the server level, uh, maybe that plays into Solana's strategy, or maybe Solana has enough product traffic in a way that makes sense for Helium, yeah. but. There has to be something else in there strategically that we're maybe not it's a seeing. big ass grant because they haven't been yeah, generating maybe there's any money revenue. and tokens yeah. too. Yeah. 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 I mean, because it doesn't make sense long game for any of the chains to do something with, with helium. Um, if you're really going full on decentralization everywhere, uh, if that's your, your strategy. Yeah, not I just, I, I just, I, I have a hard time with helium making the choice for on Solana with just its stability yeah. stuff. That's all. So yeah, anyway, no, I agree hundred percent. I think you wanted to bring up some stuff uh, that you'd been looking at this morning. Is that, is that oh. still on your agenda for today? Uh, yeah, I got one for you. Oops. I'm not going right. to share it. Yeah, it's on Forbes. Hold on a second. Let me get this somewhere where I can see it. 
Or do you want to send it to me and I'll put it up? Yeah, yeah. Let me do that. I'll put it in the channels. I'll just dump okay. three links in here for you right, right. now. Um, All right. Here's one. We're going to forward to DeFi Lunch. All right, okay, here's one. Got it. And then there was a... <laughs> 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 you're fucking hilarious, dude. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so let's do these, these two first. This one first? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So older entrepreneurs outperform younger fan founders shattering ageism. Yes. There was some really um, – hold on. You got it up, right? Okay. There was some really Yeah, wait, interesting... real quick. Sorry, wait. Real right. quick before you start. Niblets on the last story said, sounds a bit like an old project called Right Mesh a crypto-enabled network of meshed cell phones to distribute coverage targeting rural developing markets. Oh, that's cool. That was ahead of its time because uh, that's that's more relevant now. But yeah, that sounds a lot like what you were thinking of, Joe, too. Yeah, and I remember hearing stuff about that, like, you know, these mesh networks that evidently are undetectable. So the different, like, groups have been setting up, like, calls on mesh networks in the big cities, too. And it's not going through any routers or anything. It's just sort of, I mean, no, like phone company stuff. So it keeps it completely. Uh, oh, hey, dark. Sean! Sean wants you to take over uh, being main host, I guess. Uh, so you know that's cool. I'm gonna let you start handling all the administrative <laughs> shit and news finding. No, I just have to talk. Brad's the heavy lifter here. Sean's Sean's just, stirring shit up, boy. Yeah, or maybe he like thinks it. Joe's the main host, and he thinks I should become the main host. I don't know. Well, it's just a talent thing, you know. It's uh, I like to look at myself as the talent, and Brad's <laughs> like the boss. <laughs> so I, oh, I can be unpredictable. Get thick. Get but thick. this was a this was a you know a, a gift article for Brad that I wanted to put up. And what was really interesting is it talked about yes, Niblets. It talked about how all these big founders out there, other than you know the Zuckerberg and um uh bill gates and you know maybe the google guys who were 25 and zuckerberg and gates were 2021 it lists all these other founders that are like 65 you know 37 uh -huh. you know it seems like the sweet spot is around 43 is what i get out of this article wow um but you know there's the young ones keep going down and what most of these have already been successful at a company and they go out and start their own. So here we go. The average age of founders of the rare ultra fast unicorn was 45. The mean wow. age of high tech startup founders is 43. The likely success of a founder increases up until the age of 60. So Brad, you better get going on that, man. I know you're going to have to go through <laughs> that, that, that 60 line. So but I got to catch up to you, Joe. <laughs> exactly. A 50 year old founder is twice as lucky to build a thriving enterprise that has either an IPO or a successful acquisition as a 30 year old founder, twice as likely. Yeah. Okay. So look, so, you know, cause I, I kind of do this myself too. You know, I kind of like to bet on the people versus the idea. Here's some yep. great ones. Eric, you want Bernie Marcus founded Home Depot when he was 50. Go, wow. Bob Carson's GoDaddy, 47. Reed Hastings, Netflix, 37. Noyce, Intel, 41. Geico at 50. Vera Wang designed her first dress at 40. Wow. But I remember something when I was a kid. Uh, Lucille Ball, complete failure in Hollywood until she was 40 plus. It's amazing. You know? And so the thing is, again, like I said, you don't quit. You know, they interviewed, I think it was Clooney or Pitt, one of those guys. Because they, after college, all went out to Hollywood, like five or six of them. And they said, why did you become a success? And everybody else failed. They said, because he stayed. 
Everybody else went home. <laughs> they didn't give up. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the point. Is well, that- and I will, I will tell you, there is a, look, uh, not just in tech, this kind of um, ageism. I, I mean, I see tweets all day long, like, that are ageist. And, um, you know, people somehow think that um, because people are older, they can't learn or adapt or build or grow something new. And it's just ludicrous. Um, the best combination, as this article points out, is experience along with the new tech or the new ideas, right? Yeah. That's that's what, look, when you've been burned, hurt, screwed, failed, you know, multiple times in your life, you, you, you get an instinct for shit that will and will not work. And you're going to fail again, but you at least have a better insight into what can work. That's an awesome article, Joe. Good find. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you look, I, I think that this is an inflection point between like experience and say innate intelligence in yeah. my mind. So, or in, uh, and then intrinsic or sort of intrinsically motivated people or say self-starter type people, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I never really thought about it, but I kind of get up every day and figure out what I'm going to do and go do it or try right. to, you right. know, it's like, I have, I set my agenda. And I think that that is something that young people can be really, really good at. But, you know, the biggest challenge in human resources is how do you transfer the knowledge, say from Brad, who's got 40 years, well, not 40, 30 years. Not quite. 30 that. Years. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just saying a lot, <laughs> a lot of experience, a lot of meetings, you know, which what I find I could do, I could sit in a meeting with people and, and it somewhat works on Zoom too, but I can tell exactly in that meeting who I would want to work with and who I wouldn't. Oh yeah, I can absolutely. Tell who makes me nervous, who makes me looking for my wallet, making sure I'm leaving with my wallet and I get fleeced. I mean, you could feel it. And when you're 18, you, I don't think you could feel it the same way because you um, haven't been lied to as much. Yeah, You haven't been deceived. You haven't been, yeah. hey, trust me, man. Hey, this business only works on trust. You know? Exactly. So if you don't trust me, we can't do work. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. All the or, standard. Hey, man, we don't negotiate term sheets. You know, we're blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And we throw term sheets out and we put the valuation. That's what it is. If you're going to negotiate it, that's not who we want. I mean, which is exactly the opposite of what you want. You want exactly who's going to negotiate with you because then he's not going to lose your money out there by doing something stupid. So, um, Good I think stuff. That, yeah, this is stuff that, you know, just, just tap into it. And then of course we need the young guys and gals because I can't do 120 hours a week anymore, or 80 hours. I'm lucky if I put in a hard 40, man. So it's like, we know. <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> All right, so this one, this Goldman Sachs tweet. Yeah, I um, I just came across it randomly. You know how we're always talking about recession, this recession, that, and and you know they put odds at it at you know thirty three percent mild, huh. and it would be a mild recession in the next year in in twenty twenty three. So we're talking you know basically six quarter or five quarters worth, uh, five and a half quarters ish. So you know, but then you look at what happens. Another good thing to remember too is that. In these up, you look at that inflation. Are they an unemployment spike for uh, that. the pandemic? Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's that when interest rates start going up like this, that's usually when the market is 
really out, really outperforms. Right. So I don't think, you know, you see the stock market, it kind of goes down and it goes up and it stays stable and whatever. And the reason it, it, the reason it does that is because usually the Fed's playing catch up, you know, and trying to just think back.com is the, a great yeah, example. Someone's using trailing data. Yeah. And it's coming in all of a sudden the shit's not stopping. So then it like comes in with the massive hike that just stops everybody in their tracks. Yeah. And, you know, because the market's still screaming, then the market sells off, then the unemployment comes and blah, 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 blah. But that's if it's really bad. Um, so to me, I think this is good news, too. And it has all that. If you could scroll down a tiny bit just to show that chart, please. Yep. This goes back, I think, to the 50. Yeah, 1950. And so you see all the unemployment rates and then the, the gray bands in there, vertical bars are the recessions. And nice. so the width is the duration. And, uh, you know, you see some are milder and some are stronger. I mean, I didn't really notice that. I guess the pandemic was a recession. <laughs> it was like a 47% contraction. But I think Q3 I think yeah. had 38% growth or something like that. So, you know, but it's just good to look at this and understand what's going on. This look is at all the professions. Yeah, this it's is actually pretty in interesting. This one in the 70s is pretty interesting because everybody talks about um, the massive increase in rates that caused this horrible, painful recession. Um, um, but uh, interestingly enough, the employment rates were climbing through it on all of these. Yeah, well, this one if, where you're pointing out, this looks like a 74-ish. Yeah. That was the OPEC boycott, 73, the oil crisis in the U.S., which brought gas up from like, I don't know, yep. 50 cents a gallon to a dollar or something. And everybody was yep. flipping out. Um, so in the 70s, you did get those cycles. And then you see in like 1980, that's when Volcker, because there was stagflation going on. That was on Volcker's? Yeah. Volcker came 80s. in and cranked up interest rates to like 20%, I think. And he yeah. stopped because there was stagflation. So that's where you have inflation and recession basically at the same time. And right. that's what you don't want because that gets that wage price spiral thing going. So he came in and just stopped the economy in his tracks. And so when you see those 10% unemployment numbers, right that beginning of that recession, I think you were looking at stuff in the 18 to 20%. Yeah. Like your money rate. Yeah. Um, so it's just good, you know, when you hear all the jargon and what it is and what we're doing, you know, pull up something like this and, you know, take a look and just understand that this shit's a regular thing. It's yeah. sort of like anytime you grow, let's say, let's say you had a company in New York and you went and opened offices in three or four cities. Maybe it was like, I don't know, Seattle, uh, St. Louis and, uh, you know, Miami. Um, and then, you, you know, capital gets more expensive, business isn't panning out and you consolidate and you close one of them. Right. You know, maybe you close St. Louis. I'm just picking one. You close that, you focus on the other two, and you keep the other people remote. You know, that's a contraction, economic contraction event. Laying people off is an economic contraction event. You know, uh, closing companies, not starting new business lines, those are all economic contraction activities, but it's all consolidating. Yep. So, you know, that's what we do. We grow, and then we chop off the diseased parts, and we reconsolidate. Think about like an amoeba where it grows out in like five or six different directions. And then it, it tends to sort of fill in the gaps between those sort of growth areas and then shortens the length of the whatever thing is. 
you know, you build, so you get a bigger solid central core and then you grow out from there again. So, you know, you, you, it just can't be up only. That's all I'm saying. So when you hear right. recession, it doesn't mean really a big bad thing. If you just got a job and you're in a company that maybe the revenue's tacking off in, then, then you might, you know, then it might be a bigger thing because you might get let go. But, you know, in this job market, from what I'm seeing, I mean, still everybody's, there's opportunity out there. People are still getting hired. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, I mean, I remember where I waited tables and did shit in high school for work. And I think I was getting paid a buck 70 an hour was minimum wage. I think waiters wow. now are getting like 15 bucks. So uh, I don't know what the tipped, I don't know what tipped, I don't know what the tipped minimum did. is right now. Yeah, I don't know. But this is a great, we should share that link because it's a great article to read. Just yeah, I will. Definitely thing. will. Definitely will. That's cool. Awesome. Now, I don't know, Niblets, I want to talk about this unless the Fed keeps feeding the zombies. Now, what, you know, I was thinking about this a lot too. And, you know, so there was the conversation, there was the Jackson Hole conference, and there was the we're going after inflation. I mean, I don't see how people think that they're not going after inflation, but. You know, then they make a damn it, we're going to really do it. And, you know, the market sells off 5% for a couple of days. And then you know, I think it's rebounded a little bit. But but there's just no way that it's sustainable without pairing the Fed balance sheet and getting these interest rates back up to, to normalcy. So I think that the September, I think you do most of the hard work in the uh, the balance sheet area. And as those securities or whatever roll off every quarter, it does take money out of the banking system. So it does right. create a better effect, I think. So I think what you're going to see in the September meeting, and also we got the election, midterm elections coming up. So nobody wants to do anything between now and then, you yeah, know, the, exactly. to change performance and look political. So it's interesting. I, I saw, I saw, uh, was watched a video with Unger, yes, a monk, Charlie Munger yesterday talking about, yeah. um, recession, inflation, printing money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, he doesn't think that that a Volcker could ever do what he did then again because the politicians would never allow it. Um, you know, that making those hard calls now is, um, you know, impossible. Yeah. So I think to that point, too, that's why I think what's going to happen is when you see September, uh, I think the market's expecting 50 to 75. I expect it to come in at 50. 50 bips, okay. Um, okay. not the high end, because two, two things of thought here. Um, we got an election in two months and right. you want to do, you want to make your, this is your last chance to do anything until after the election. Yep. So you either come in strong and go for your 75, but risk creating some economic contagion or confusion or something. Or you come yep. in at 50 and say, and then the market goes, oh, holy shit. All right, only 50. Let's just go all in again. <laughs> FOMOing in, it keeps everything stable. And then after the election, you come in, if you still need to work on your interest rate numbers, you come in and do a full 75 to one point hike. Yeah. Um, and then you got two years to clamp this thing down, um, get it under control, have a little economic, a little recession, whatever, in 2023. And then everything should kind of come back in line to where you have a decent economy running into the general election. Makes so sense. I think that's the strategy, whether, you know, nobody's coordinating this. I'm not saying there's a coordinated strategy because the Fed's independent, but they do what they think is best for, sure. the, for the country. And they try to stay apolitical. I think Powell's actually a Republican, to be honest. Um, 
but they don't, these are professionals. So that's kind of my call. It's going to be something like that. And then you'll see that fed balance sheet. that's at 9 trillion start tacking. I think it's below nine now start tacking down um, over time. I think the, I saw some data where they're almost up to 95 billion a month coming off of that balance sheet. So that's supposed to come in in September. So 90, they're trying to do a trillion a year off the balance sheet. Okay. So that's a big number. I mean, it's not that big, but in say it's 90s big. <laughs> it used to be big. Yeah, I was about to say, that used to be a big number. So that's kind of what I think is happening. And I think with the dollar staying strong because of the interest rate hikes, foreign capital flowing in, goes into stock markets or held in dollars, whatever, um, that holds the market up from from really you know being the first thing everybody sells, which is good to me for crypto because then it gets people kind of you know thinking about more about the next cycle. People who maybe were in it but aren't in it right now, they start thinking about the next cycle. They got a little money to play with. Um, so I think again, this is why I feel optimistic. Now again, I'm not sitting there in the middle of Europe with Nord Stream One getting cut off and. Yeah, I'm not, not dealing with the war being fought and I'm not dealing with all those things and I'm not dealing with what the fuck are they doing with the dollar? It's fucking all of our currencies. I'm not looking at it from that perspective either, but right. You know, I think if, you know, it's, it's kind of like the U S dollar or USA has to have like that BTC blow off top basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then cascades down through everyone. I mean, it's, it's, it's a silly analogy, but it kind of, it's, Seems partially accurate. So, I mean, that's just sort of my general feeling about cool. everything. Love it. All right. So, uh, Dapper Labs Flow blockchain is going to help Ticketmaster uh, screw people over and be remain the middleman for the NFT ticket model. So, that's that's a great move on a yeah. centralized blockchain. Let's make sure Ticketmaster can keep charging. $30 per ticket for convenience fees. Uh, and we'll just make it easy. always around. I remember when ticket, buddy of mine, there was um, E2E Net was a big dot-com play, venture money. Um, it had like the guys from AOL in it. I think I think Ted Leonis was in it, who now owns the Capitals and maybe he's buying the Wizards or something. And Steve, I don't know if Steve Case was in there, but Ted Leonis was in there, Ledecky and all those guys. And there, some of the people came from Ticketmaster or had a Ticketmaster was involved in a lot of dot-com stuff early on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting to see them. So into this part too. Well, here's, the, here, here's the thing I don't understand is or maybe it's happening and we just haven't heard about it yet. Uh, I, this is a beautiful opportunity for all of the bands, you know, to get together, yeah. form a fucking DAO, launch a platform for ticketing, so that all the major acts, all of the pop stars, everything circumvent Ticketmaster and stop charging huge fees to people trying to go see a concert. That And the tickets are already ridiculously priced. And take the middleman out, right? I mean, yeah. and they all say they want to do that. Well, here's a tech for you to do it, right? You can create a marketplace. People can resell the tickets. You know, I mean, it's a big tech play. I get it. There's a lot of work that has to be done. But- you know, I mean, this is just another one of those examples of of it's like XRP jumping in bed with Western Union, and now Dapper Labs Flow jumping in bed with Ticketmaster. Let's let's keep the middleman afloat that's that's screwing over the little guy, right? That's what that's what this deal is. So you know, not not going to be considering uh, Dapper Labs Flow blockchain for anything anytime soon. 
So. Yeah, I mean, look, this is an issue that I was didn't really think a lot about, but until, you know, the Doki Doki experience and what I saw was happening to artists out there that are, you know, all they get is commissions and, you know, yeah. to create art for the corporates. And it's like 50 bucks and that's all they yeah. get. They have yeah. no control over their destiny. And when exactly. they could start like taking their art and putting it into NFTs and cut that middleman out and then the money came straight to them. Yep. I thought that was brilliant because that's yep. what we're all about. I yep. see the same thing here. Like you said, why aren't the, um, and I guess it's probably because of the agencies and all of that involved and the labels and, you know, they want it this way. But um, I know I heard about some artists that were doing stuff just direct some bands. Well, I mean, the Grateful Dead have been doing it for ages and, and, that's right. and a bunch of, of other bands, you know, yeah, and, but so why not bring them all together? Get the comedians, get the bands, get, you know, anybody that sells a ticket, right? Get the theaters, the Broadway theaters, get them all together and create your, create a decentralized Ticketmaster competitor, right? Cut out the middleman, have it be some nominal fee that pays for the system and the people that administer it and, and make it less expensive. So more people can go to your concerts, you know? Well, what if you get something like StubHub? Cut out the rent you know? singers. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about like a stub hub where you go buy your tickets to the concerts and and then you can resell them and it's but because that's peer to peer, right? You know, well, but but stub hub is a let me tell well, you don't don't get me started on what a colossal yeah, operating cluster fuck that place is. They've um, actually always been good to me, but yeah, I, I know it's they take a big rake too. Yeah, well, no, not just the rake; it's just they're horribly run. I, I I'm not going to get into no. details, but my wife sold some tickets and went through a nightmare with that that group. Um, getting she still hasn't gotten her money. It's been Three years. Hey, I'll tell you a quick story yeah. just to go against that. I was at the uh, Miami Open tennis tournament with my daughter. I bought some tickets on StubHub, came in. They wouldn't go through the – I did this a lot, so was, this was the one time this happened. They wouldn't go through the turnstile um, because somebody either used them or somebody else had another copy. I couldn't get in. Well, make a long story short, I got in anyhow, but I called StubHub and told them, and they. I said I bought some other tickets – or like somebody else gave me tickets, and I got in anyhow – and they were like, okay, just send us a picture of the other tickets you bought and we'll refund you all your money. And nice. I was like, no bucks. I took a picture, sent That's it, good. and they put the money well, back you, in. So I found they were had a much better that experience. Way. But yeah, yeah I, I know it's it's it needs to be done better. Again, yeah, if it like was that on the chain cool. and it was NFTs, yeah. right? And it was a digital thing that you held up at the gate, then you would have never had that problem. And they wouldn't have had to give anybody money back. So anyway, good good. I, I just think there's an opportunity there. No, oh, no, there is. Uh, You're right. Absolutely. Uh, I don't, yeah. we don't, we're running out of time here. Oh, uh, so there's a bit of a discussion going on because um, there's a bug in compounds, some latest upgrade to the protocol, and it froze all of the ETH in uh, one of the, um, whoops, one of the, uh, let me see what it was, C ETH uh, are held up. Um, so it's causing all kinds of problems. And the problem is they have a seven day, uh, lock for changes. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion going on in the DeFi uh, world about, um, how seven days is too long. Maybe it should be 24 hours. Maybe it should be 48 hours, et cetera. But, uh, we'll see where this shakes out. But is uh, that their time lock on code changes? Time lock. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a seven day time lock. So, um, yeah, we don't need to get into that. Is that, that hey, day. I know you've talked about this before. Is that the standard across the industry, a seven-day time lock, or do projects just No, no, no. Often it's 24 hours or 36 hours or 48 hours. That's normally, I think, the standard. So it's unusual. They're trying to be very conservative to give community time to vote and blah, 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 blah. But it also means now people are locked out of their money. 
right? So it's it's painful. Um, hey, this is a new one. I'm going to look more into this uh, project called Housecat. Uh, follow trading. Uh, you know, people building indexes, et cetera, et cetera. Supposedly truly decentralized. Haven't had a chance to look at it in real depth yet, but uh, the house indexes are all failing, and uh, the outside traders who are uh, providing their their strategies um, are doing really well. So uh, that's not what I want to do. Oh, uh, that's not a good one. We won't worry about that. I don't think we have anything else. Oh, uh, we may have hit the bottom because uh, Kramer says avoid all speculative investments like crypto. So maybe we have hit the bottom. Hey, how do I, can I, I, I found a report on NFTs and financial crime, a good hundred page from elliptic NFT, just great content. And it's oh, worth cool. everybody to read it. How do I paste that into this comments? Do you know, or do I, uh, you'd have to paste the link, the link to it, but make sure you send me the link so I can put it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try right. to paste this link right here. If anybody wants to grab it, um, it should pull that one up and I'll put it in the telegram channel too. So yeah. Remember, remember how we were talking about the, uh, the, that miner that's going to go ahead and do the ETH proof of work, um, yeah. fork. Well, yep. look, ether mine, smart people, I guess they planned ahead for the switch to staking. They're launching a staking service. Who would have hmm. thought? Wow. What a brilliant fucking idea. Networks hmm. move into proof of stake. You have all these people who are uh, mining ETH. Maybe they'd like to stake their ETH and earn interest on their ETH. Go figure. So, yeah, what a shock. What a, Somebody actually, you know. But not in the U.S. Yeah. Somebody with the soul. Yeah. You well, see that? Yeah, they also, they also, um, they are also the mining operation that uh, blacklisted the tornado cash list. So. Do you have the KYC um, to go into that mining operation? Or do you just wall it? I don't know. Because I would wonder, look, if it says no US, then obviously you'd strap on your VPN for that one. Yeah, I don't not. know if they KYC or not. Huh. Of course, there's always a risk that they lock Steal up your funds. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Galaxy and Genesis are launching a, launching a big fund called Cryptos. K-R-Y-P-T-O-S. 500 million uh fund of their own so i guess it's all their money okay wait so we got reddit co-founder galaxy digital and genesis raising oh nice oh no these two funds 776 is the 177.6 million fund uh which is uh alexis ohanian's uh venture capital fund he's done this before and then galaxy digital and genesis are raising their own fund for 500 million I like that 1776 playing on the revolution. Maybe uh, no, because look, 177.6 is oh, the amount. That's cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cute. That's cute. And then yeah. the fund is 776. Yeah, that's very cute. Yeah, and then never noticed that. That's very astute of you, Joe. It's very astute. It's uh, Japan uh, regulator has proposed tax break breaks for investors and crypto investors, trying to uh, increase. Uh, economic uh, capabilities in Japan, which is a good sign because they've been very strict. So, Yeah, they, you want to talk about traditional and conservative society. I mean, they yeah, yeah, they move pretty slow. Yeah, so Remember hopefully... Godzilla movies? Yeah, or hopefully... 
What was the Ultraman pose? Was it this or how? What would he do with his arms? I can't remember. Was it? This? I have no fucking clue. I, I didn't get in. And going, this is so fucking stupid. And I was like, it's like I didn't a truly get into superheroes until my fifties with my son. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I am. So, so that's what we're calling Sports Illustrated bikini models these days. Superheroes. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Uh, my superhero was Farrah Fawcett. No, I had a poster of her, man. Of course, everybody had the poster, the nip poster. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I remember having that on the wall when my cousin was in town. We were just talking about this, like, uh, this summer. And um, we're like, you know, boys, I think we must have been eighth graders or something. And we're looking at the poster. And my cousin just sits there. He starts going, I want to uh, ask Farah. But he's showing his finger instead of, like, you know, the bird instead of the saying it. And I look out of the corner of my eye and I could see my mom standing in the doorway. Because <laughs> I, I was so pissed at this guy, I was like, "What'd you say? I want a buck fair." Oh and no, you got it busted! And then his oh, mom comes dude. in too and catches him because he was the perfect angel kid, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, this is the poster. Yeah, there you go. Selling for selling for tw- thirteen bucks on eBay. Yeah, man, she was her yeah. and um, what was it? Charlie's Angels. That's right. Her and yeah, Charlie's Angels. Carol Ladd, Kate Jacqueline, Jackson, Jacqueline Smith. Yeah. Jacqueline Smith. Yeah. 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 That nipple was quite a uh, risky. Yeah, that was controversial because that was 70. What? What year was that? Since 78, 76, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was prime teen years for me. Yeah. 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 No. And all the girls had hair like that back then. Yep. Remember, everybody had the Farrah haircut. Yep, exactly. Throwing that on a pole. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on that in note, hour in 1987, so it's like. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Niblets and Sean, for participating today. Love you and appreciate you. Um, please, if you get a chance, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, don't hesitate to reach out with any ideas, thoughts, guest ideas, critiques, comments, feedback. B05Crypto on Twitter and Telegram. B05Crypto pound 2143 on Discord. Uh, you can re- listen to past episodes and the Mission DeFi show on missiondefi.com. Yeah. That's all um, I got, Joe. Yeah. Another thing, I, I realized that, you know, on Telegram, on Pathfinder, but I realized that people can't find me, which is that. So it's, Go with the at Pathfinder 305 and you'll get me on Telegram. Yeah, Joe is at Pathfinder 305, at Pathfinder 305 on Telegram if you want to chat with him. He has a Discord, but he doesn't use it. So. And LinkedIn is, you know, if any, you know, so I know it's kind of like the typewriter these days, LinkedIn, but yeah. I'm over there active again. And that's just Joe Cawley's, J-O-E-C-A-W-L-E-Y. So you can find me there on LinkedIn. I, I'm starting to kind of share more stuff about the show there and kind of trying to start to to i'm not jumping back into twitter yet but um trying to make it easy for brad joe's going to start his own uh, executive coaching and yoga business you know i'm gonna grow your followers bitch (laughs) no that's all they do man it's growing followers and tell you how to be successful i got one today about franchising they want to yeah, me too. Me. I've gotten three duplicate messages of "We're going to help you start your uh, <laughs> niblets." Does Joe have an AOL address? He might as well. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I never had an AOL address. He's got an AOL I'm, and an Earthlink. <laughs> yeah, no, I was Mindspring. That was before Earthlink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mindspring was was one of the original ones with Earthlink. 
Um, yeah, that my was, mother-in-law email back and forth on her AOL account. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my, I mean, just people who started on AOL that are in retired years, they still use it. Yeah. Um, but oh, it does like that's all she has. Yeah, and you know, you go to their email box and you look at the inbox, it's like 85 million spam messages. <laughs> it's just AOL is just a cesspool right now, all over it. It's just crap. Just you can't even get through it. My dad keeps deleting it because he's like, I can't find anything, you know. And that's I'm hilarious. like, I'm like, well, you don't delete it, buddy. This let me help you out, put you on Gmail. So, exactly, but you know, it's funny. Um, but you know, look, it's just, it is that. This is what we do. And so, you know, Niblets, I, I think, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing under 40, maybe. And, um, you know, take what we say, whatever you like, don't like, and, and use it to your advantage. Um, yep. The lessons that we've learned and the lessons that we've endured. So, um, but the party never it. ends. The game never ends. The fight never ends. You just keep getting up, keep going until you don't. So, you know, I kind of one of these guys who believes that you really can't that you just got to make decisions and do shit <laughs> and let's go. So um, on that note, what is it? It's say, uh, this is Wednesday. So we're not really quite to the weekend yet. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to tell us all to have a great weekend. <laughs> Joe's done. Joe's like, get me the fuck out of here. There's Labor Day weekend going up, man. Um, no, nah, but uh, yeah, so you guys, it's tomorrow. always fun doing this and uh, feel free to reach out to me. And um, you know, I, I can help. I do financial modeling, deck analysis. I also do second opinions on deals. So we have a lot of people on the show that do these big VC rounds and raise money. You know, when people are throwing those term sheets out at you, if you want someone to just who has no conflict with anybody in your network, just to look at you and tell you where you negotiate at that point, what you talk about, I'm happy to do that, um, you know, for a small fixed fee. Um, but, you know, diminuous. Small is, just small is relative. Well, I mean, in, look, you're going to get all the money, right? So I'm going to help be the stealth guy behind the scenes, helping you I control. I absolutely your yeah. would recommend if you're doing your financials planning, you need to do cash flow. You need to negotiate on the terms of a deal. I can't recommend Joe more highly to everyone. Uh, absolutely. can. He's been there and done it all. Um, you know, um, you know, that's why you hire the old guys because they know what they're doing. So, and I'll still go out and drink with you, but that's you know, it. Oh, I, he'll definitely do that. I'll but keep you're buying. Too, though. They're I'll buying too. though. Yeah, they buy, of course, but they I don't buy. do more than two anymore. Yeah. You know, cool. yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, you know, let's all go make a bunch of money and have some fun. Right. Say bye, Joe. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye, Joe. <laughs>